Hello and welcome to Bible 101. This is lesson number five of our seven lesson series going through the Bible. And in this lesson, we're going to finish out the Old Testament. So we're going to cover a lot of material. Not going to take much time for review. I'm only going to say that in the last lesson, we talked about the period of the kings and how that Saul was the first king. He turned out to be wicked. But then David came up and sat upon the throne and God blessed his reign. Even though he made mistakes, he was listed as a man after God's own heart because he was a man that sacrificed. He was a man that praised God. He was a man that was quick to repent. And he had many beautiful characteristics, even though he made mistakes, even though there were flaws in his life. But God blessed him and made a covenant with him that from his seed would come one that would rule forever. Well, uh, that wasn't fulfilled literally in his seed because obviously the kingship of Israel and Judah did end, but Jesus would come and fulfill that, uh, being the king of kings and lord of lords. And so after David, his son Solomon, begins to reign, his reign starts out great. He's listed as the wisest man outside of Jesus Christ that ever lived. However, to be so wise, he made some very stupid mistakes later on in his reign. At first, he did great things. He built a house for the Lord, beautiful temple, built a beautiful palace. Uh, he, he even had more territory than David. And uh, in, in those days, silver was really worth nothing because uh, there was so much gold. And, uh, and, and Solomon was a very, very rich man. But he began to multiply to himself wives, which if you read in the book of Deuteronomy... Uh, God predicted that Israel would one day ask for a king. And he said, when you do, he shall not multiply to himself chariots and horses and wives and silver and gold. Solomon did all of those things. And because of all the wives which he took to himself, later on in his reign, he became very, very wicked. And uh, so when he passed off the scene, his son Rehoboam begins to reign. And uh, during that period, Israel had gotten tired of some of the labor that Solomon had placed upon them. So they came to Solomon's son Rehoboam and they said, please make our... our load a little bit lighter and so Rehoboam says go away for three days and I'll, I'll, I'll counsel and I'll get back with you so he goes to his counselors his father's counselors and uh, same men that had counseled his father and, and he uh, asked them what should be done and they said listen to Israel but he rejected their advice and he turned to some of his own uh, generation and his generation told him hey you make their yoke heavier and so when the people of Israel came back he told them no I'm going to make your yoke heavier than it's ever been before well they revolted and uh, God prophesied through the prophet Ahijah I believe his name was that Jeroboam was going to uh, reign over the tribes of Israel but uh, God would not leave uh, the seed of David without uh, without a, a leader and so the seed of David continued to stay uh, with uh, Rehoboam. And so now it's split into two kingdoms, known as the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. And so you're going to read about this in the book of First Kings and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. Uh, a lot of times Second Chronicles will give specific details maybe you won't find in Kings and vice versa. So it's, it's beautiful as you read both of them, but you also see the agreement that they have. They agree on, on even some of the smallest details, but uh, they one of them may give a little bit more detail than the other one will. And so what we see is that Israel, uh, it continues to be wicked. Jeroboam sets up golden calves because he doesn't want them going uh, back to worship in the house of God, lest they turn revolt and go back to Rehoboam. So he sets up golden calves. And you know where he learned that from. We've already talked about it, what happened on Mount Sinai and how that Moses came down and they had built a golden calf. Well, obviously he learned from that. But he actually was trying to tell them this represents 
uh, a beast that Jehovah rides upon. If you do some study in that, you'll find out that he, he wasn't meaning it to replace Jehovah, but he's saying Jehovah rides on this beast, therefore we worship him. However, the Lord said don't make uh, don't make any graven image and worship it. And so it doesn't matter what it represented, they still disobeyed God. And so uh, he set up one in Dan and one in Bethel, and they worshiped before these, and they didn't go down to the house of the Lord like they were supposed to go. Uh, and they just began to forsake the law of God, and they turned completely away from it. And so uh, war actually happens between Israel and Judah, and, and there's this constant battle that's going on. However, in Judah, it's a little bit different, okay? In Israel, every single king that reigned after Solomon was wicked. Uh, but in Judah, they had good kings and they had bad kings. Good kings and bad kings. Good kings and bad kings. And uh, some were better than others, and some were great. But uh, but but they just they had one little detail they wouldn't take care of and and uh, some of them started out good and ended bad and and uh, I could talk about all of these things but rather than take time to really get down into the nitty gritty of these situations I'm going to just kind of give you an overview so Israel becomes so wicked in God's sight that finally God has enough and He turns them over into captivity well before He does that God sent them prophets. Okay, so again, look at your table of contents in the front of your Bible. Now I want you to just kind of turn there with me. It should be in the very front of your Bible. And I want you to just look at it so you can get a gist of what I'm talking about here. So you have obviously Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles. Okay, and then you have Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, which this is going to take place um, after the captivity. But then if you look, you got Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. These are all uh, books of poetry. Actually, Job is included in those books. And these are writings that come. Psalms, a lot of them will come from King David. Some come from Solomon. Even even uh, uh, one from Moses and from other people in there. Uh, and then Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon are all written by Solomon. And it's the wisdom of Solomon. And then you've got Isaiah all the way through Malachi. These are the prophets. And some were sent to Israel. Some were sent to Judah. Some even prophesied to foreign nations. We could talk about Obadiah and how he prophesied to Edom. Uh, we could talk about some of the others. And I'm not going to take time to get into all that. Jonah prophesied to Nineveh. Uh, so, all of these prophets, uh, these books of the prophets, are written somewhere in this period. Some even prophesied after the exile. You've got Daniel, you've got Ezekiel, but uh, many of them, like Isaiah and Jeremiah, warned them, hey, God is going to judge you. He's going to bring another nation to take you captive. And so this is where the books of the prophets come into play. And then the, the one that prophesied after Israel is, is taken captive and they return uh, is Malachi. So we'll, we'll get into that here in just a moment. But uh, what happens then is Israel is finally taken into captivity. Well, Judah sees that Israel is taken into captivity by Assyria. But rather than learn from their mistakes and repent and turn back to God, Judah keeps becoming more wicked. And what really drives them over the edge is somebody by the name of Manasseh. King Manasseh rises up actually after one of the best kings in Judah's history, Hezekiah. Hezekiah is a great king and he does many great things for the house of the Lord and he serves God faithfully. But then when he dies, uh, Manasseh begins to reign and Manasseh is extremely wicked and he begins to kill. The Bible says he killed prophets with the sword. Some people even believe he 
took Isaiah and cut him in two with a saw. And um, there's so many different things I could say about that. But uh, he, he basically... Uh, brought an idol into the temple of God and set it up and they worshiped that idol and he was very very wicked well God allowed him to be taken into captivity and when he was punished uh, ultimately he cried out to God and God allowed him to come back and there was a repentance there but it was too little too late because his son reigns in his place and his son turns right back to wickedness but then the last hope uh, for Judah is a man by the name of King Josiah and King Josiah orders a reform, and, and they begin to destroy all of the idolatry. And then he comes back home, and he tells him, repair the house of the Lord. Now, some people get this story backwards, but actually, if you look at Chronicles, gives us the chronological order here. He actually purged. Uh, he actually purged the nation first, and then he came back home and ordered the uh, the repairing of the house of God. Because during the days of Manasseh and his son, um, they the, the house of God had been basically allowed to, to go into ruins. And so he tells them, repair the house of God. While they're repairing the house of God, they come upon the law of the Lord. And... Uh, they bring it to Josiah and they read it in his presence. And the Bible says he fell down and he tore his garments and he sent to hold of the prophetess and he said, go inquire of her what we should do. And so when they go to hold of she says, God will surely deliver Judah into captivity. However, because Josiah repented, it will not happen in his lifetime. Well, that's exactly what happened. When Josiah died, his son is taken in to captivity. And then shortly thereafter, uh, the whole uh, nation is taken into captivity. The house of God is destroyed by Babylon, left in ruins. They tear down the walls, everything. Jerusalem completely destroyed. And they take them into Babylonian captivity. It's during this period that Daniel uh, writes, uh, and while, they're, while they're in captivity, Daniel writes. And uh, I'm not going to get into the story of Daniel. It's a very, very beautiful story. For the sake of this uh, lesson and, and, and for the brevity of it, I'm just going to leave some of these details out, but I'm just trying to give you a brief history of the prophets. So then uh, God allowed uh, uh, Babylon to fall uh, to uh, the Medes and the Persians, and when the Persians take over, they're much more friendly to uh, the Jews, and they actually allow them to return to their homeland to rebuild the temple. This is when Ezra is written. And then uh, it kind of takes place in stages. Still, Jerusalem is left in ruins. The walls are still broken down. And then uh, they allowed a man by the name of Nehemiah to go back and, uh, and structure and build again the walls. And this is where Nehemiah is written. Uh, also, you have some Jews that stayed home that chose not to go back. This is when Esther is written. She's written during this, this period. She actually stayed back home. Mordecai stayed back home, and that's when Esther is written. Um, and then you have some that are uh, of the prophets that are written uh, during this period to help encourage them to keep building, uh, to keep working on the house of God, to not get discouraged. And who you have during this period is Haggai and Zechariah. And then after they return and they build the temple, they, they start turning right back again to ways of wickedness. And that's when the last prophet of the Old Testament is written, the book of Malachi. Now, I want to read something in Malachi, because uh, if you follow this, in all of these prophets, you're actually going to see prophecies about the coming Messiah. And when it looks like all hope is gone, they'll be right in the middle of prophesying destruction, prophesying judgment against Israel and against Judah, but then they'll say, but... Uh, 
But one of these days, God's going to raise up a prophet. You can read about that in Isaiah. You can read about it in Jeremiah, on and on and on. But I want to read you one of the last prophecies we have in our Old Testament. Let's go to the book of Malachi, chapter number uh, 3 and verse 1. And then I'm going to go to Malachi, chapter number 4. So let's go to Malachi, chapter 3, verse 1. Malachi is the last book in your Old Testament. It's right before Matthew. comes right after Zechariah. Malachi chapter 3, verse number 1. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, notice that very carefully, the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Okay, let's go over to chapter number 4. And uh, we are going to go to verse number 5. Malachi chapter 4, verse number 5. The last verses in your Old Testament. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now this is the very last words of the Old Testament written by the prophet Malachi. So in chronological order and in the, in the biblical order, this is the very last word spoken before the intertestamental period. So, something you need to know is between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is a passing of 400 years. So, what takes place in this 400 years? Well, remember, uh, it ends with the Jews being allowed to return to their homeland. Uh, they rebuild the temple. They begin the sacrificial structure again. But they're offering blemish sacrifices, and they're turning right back to ways of wickedness. They're perverting justice. And so, once again, God's judgment hits them. Persia is conquered by Greece. Uh, Alexander the Great, you may have studied him a little bit in history, but he was a great conqueror. He was prophesied, by the way, by the prophet Daniel, about by the prophet Daniel. And he came in and he conquered, and when he died, he left uh, he left his rule to four generals. He actually split it between four generals, and there's much battle that takes place. Again, to make a long story short, during this period... Um, there is much persecution that comes against the Jews in the days of a ruler by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes IV. And he actually begins to kill Jews by the droves and try to force them to accept the Greek culture. And, uh, and, and, and in doing this, it causes a revolt to happen. And this is called the Maccabean Revolt. I know I'm giving you a lot of details here in a short amount of time. Just try to stay with me. This is called the Maccabean Revolt. And so it's, it's during this Maccabean revolt that the Jews actually get some success, uh, have some success in, in coming out from under the rulership. So finally they're, they're kind of getting their own freedom. And then, uh, I'm simplifying things, but then Rome comes in and conquers and puts them right back down under their fist. So when the New Testament opens, we're actually going to find out that they're under Roman leadership now. And specifically, uh, I could give you a lot of details here. You probably studied the history of Julius Caesar, but I'm going to skip past Julius Caesar. And I'm going to talk about um, how that during the period of the New Testament, Jerusalem is actually being ruled by Herod the Great. And Herod is an exceedingly wicked man. 
now, Herod does come in, and in order to get the favor of the Jews, he actually takes the temple they built. He 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 uh, he builds onto it a beautiful temple complex. So the temple has never looked as beautiful uh, as it did in the days of Herod. So he builds this beautiful temple, and then. Uh, during the, the, the period uh, right before the New Testament, we find out that there's several groups of Jews that begin to form. And uh, some of them that formed, that I'm going to point to specifically, because they're mentioned in the New Testament, is there was one group called the group of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a very, very strict religious group that not only took the law, they believed all the Old Testament, but they, they took the law and they actually expounded upon it and added many commandments to the law. So they were very, very strict, but they were also very, very corrupt. Uh, they ignored the common man's need, and they, uh, you know, they were in it for themselves, and they were hypocritical. And then the Sadducees, which the Sadducees were people of power and influence. However, they only believed in the law of Moses. They didn't accept the rest of the Old Testament. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, while the Pharisees did believe in angels. They did believe in the resurrection of the dead. Then there was another group that formed during this time called the Zealots. They hated Roman authority, and they wanted to shake it off, and so they created a rebellious group called the Zealots. And then you also have the Essenes. And they're not necessarily as important because uh, they, they're not really discussed in the New Testament. So I'm not going to talk much about them. So just remember the groups, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Zealots. Okay, so when the New Testament opens, we have uh, kind of a feeling of hopelessness among the Jews. Because not only are they being ruled by a corrupt ruler who, by the way, was not a Jew. Herod was not a Jew. He was actually an Edomite. Uh, and, and he was really hated by the Jews. But uh, some of them, like the Sadducees and the Pharisees, some of them liked him because uh, he would put them in power. But really, they, they detested the fact that they're being ruled by a non-Jew. But they accepted his leadership. And so, anyways, um, during this time, the common man was left without hope because they had nobody to turn to. The Pharisees are corrupt. The Sadducees are corrupt. The religion has been corrupted. The uh, the temple and the sacrificial system, all of that's being corrupted. They're actually making lots of money and they're charging high exchange rates because uh, they wouldn't accept certain types of currency and so you'd have to trade it in and the exchange rates were through the through the roof and and uh the obviously the blind and the lame were kept out of the temple there was a court for the gentiles but they could go no further than that there was a court for the women they could go no further than that and uh and, and all of these things so the common person was left without hope so what we're going to find out is during this time there were actually sections of the city that were upper crust there was what is known as the upper city the lower city there were some sections of it that were upper crust, the upper crust of society, the rich, the famous, uh, you know, the, the influential. And then you had the poor people, the blind, the lame, the halt, the demon possessed that were in the poorest sections. Uh, and, and this is really where Jesus will spend the majority of his time. So it's during this period that there seems to be hopelessness. That's where the book of Matthew opens up. Okay, and so what we're going to see is, and, and again, I'm just going to kind of give you an overview because this is a condensed version of the Bible 101 series. Uh, I'm going to just kind of give you an overview of what's taking place here. So during this period uh, of biblical history, we have uh, kind of a feeling of hopeless, hopelessness, but, uh, but what happens is God begins to speak to certain individuals and people. Among them, 
where some poor people by the name of Mary and Joseph, God appears to Mary, uh, and he sends his angel, Gabriel, who appears to Mary and announces that she's going to be with child. She said, how is this possible? I don't know a man. Uh, and, and she was a spouse to Joseph, but she obviously had not yet married him. And the angel said, the Holy Ghost is going to overshadow you, Mary. And uh, he said, you're going to call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Again, you can read about this in Matthew chapter number 1. And uh, then a group called the Magi see a star in the sky. Now, the Magi were a group uh, that some believe came from Babylon, some believe came from maybe another nation. We don't know for sure, but we do know they were foreigners that studied the stars. And they saw a star they had never seen before, and apparently they knew the Jewish scriptures because uh, Balaam, way back in the Old Testament, a, a man by the name of Balaam had prophesied that a star shall arise. Uh, in connection, if you look at the and study that scripture, it's in connection with the announcing of the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so they see this star, they follow it from the east, they come to worship this new king. Well, it leads them to Jerusalem, and when they come in, uh, they go to where you would expect to find a king. Uh, and, and they go in and they see all this palace and this prestige. Well, when they announce it to Herod, uh, Herod gets suspicious because Herod is, is a man that history tells us that he killed some of his own family members because of jealousy. And so Herod says, go and find the young child and bring me back word so I can come and worship him also, hoping that they would bring him back word so he could go and kill the child. Well, when they go down, they find uh, Mary and Joseph in this little house. Uh, the star reappears after they leave Jerusalem and leads them to this little house. And they go in and they present gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to the child. And they worship the child. But the Lord warns them not to return to Herod. And so uh, the, the uh, Mary and Joseph are also warned for the sake of the, the protection of the child. And so they... Uh, they actually travel as the Holy Ghost speaks to them and tells them uh, to go to Egypt. They flee into Egypt, and then finally they come back, um, and they dwell in a little town called Nazareth, and that is uh, where Jesus was raised. So he's actually born in Bethlehem, but then he's raised in this little town called Nazareth. And uh, then, uh, around that same time that Jesus is born, before that, John the Baptist is born. Now, he's born to parents by the name of Zacharias, who was a priest, and to his wife Elizabeth. Well, they were very old, well-stricken in years, the Bible says, and she was not able to have a child. Well, the angel appeared to her, same angel, and told her that she would bear a child and and uh, and, and, and that he would prepare the way of the Lord and, and so on and so forth. So, uh, this man is John the Baptist. And again, I'm making a long story short. But John the Baptist... Uh, after a certain age, he goes to the wilderness and he dwells in the wilderness. The Bible says he eats uh, food of, of locusts and wild honey. And he lives in the wilderness. Boy, he's, he seems to be a weird guy. But then when Matthew chapter number 3 uh, kicks in, this is what we read. Now turn with me. The book of Matthew chapter number 3 and verse number 1. Now, again, I know I'm moving fast here, but... For the sake of time, I'm trying to cover a lot of material in a short amount of time. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is, uh, for this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. 
And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, remember the Pharisees and Sadducees, come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance. That means bring forth uh, fruit that proves your repentance. Acts, actions, in other words. Fruit speaks of actions that prove, or, or works, excuse me, that, that prove your repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid into the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Basically saying God is going to start judging. It seems like for a time that people like the, the Pharisees and Sadducees and some of the corrupt rulers of that day have been able to get away with their wickedness. But he said that day is changing. So he's calling everybody to repent. Then he says this verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. So here's John. He's been preparing the way of the Lord. He's been preparing the way of the Lord. And uh, actually, if you compare this to other passages where you read in, uh, for instance, the book of Mark. Let's read Mark chapter 1. So Mark comes right after Matthew. So let's go over to Mark chapter number 1. And it says this, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is verse 1. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face. Okay, so remember, we read that in Malachi. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. All right? Then, verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. All right, that is actually quoting Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 3. Let's flip back real quick to the book of Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 3. Remember, you can look at your table of contents and pause the recording. But for the sake of time, I'm going to move quickly. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 3, because there's something very important here says this, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the... Now watch this very carefully. Lord. All caps. L-O-R-D. All caps. What does that mean? It means Jehovah. means Yahweh. It means this is the God of the Old Testament. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Okay, flip back over to Mark. Chapter number 1 and verse number 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Okay, so let's go back over to Matthew now. Matthew chapter 3. We're going to kind of move around here. Uh, I'm going to kind of give you an overview of the Gospels. Uh, so we have here that John the Baptist is preaching repentance. He says, why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now what does he mean by that? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. You're going to see these terms reoccurring in the New Testament. Specifically, you're going to see them a bunch in the book of Matthew. What he means is the kingdom that God is going to set up on this earth. Well, remember, somebody from the seed of David is going to come and is going to, uh, is going to set up his throne forever. 
He's, he's, he's going to be king forever. Okay, so remember, let's, let's review a little bit. In the Old Testament, would be of the seed of the woman, right? Genesis chapter number 3, verse 15. We read that. Then remember, it would be a child of Abraham. Remember, we read that in Genesis chapter 12. And thy seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. And then remember, we read in the book of 2 Samuel that it would be a child of David. Excuse me, I forgot one. Genesis chapter uh, 49 tells us that the scepter shall not depart from Judah. So it would be a child of Judah. It'd be a child of, uh, it would be a child of David, according to 2 Samuel. So, chapter number 7, I believe it is. So, uh, when we come to the New Testament, it's talking about Jesus. So there's a reason why Matthew chapter 1 opens the way it does with a genealogy. This is what he says, Matthew chapter number 1. Now, before we get into the ministry of Jesus, I want to tell you who this Jesus is. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Watch this. The son of David. Check mark. The son of Abraham. Check mark. Okay. Look down to uh, verse number 2. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas begat Perez and Zerah of Tamar. So, he is a child of David. He's a child of Abraham. He's a child of Judah. Passes all the tests. Okay. And then, remember, it would be called the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman. Now, that's that's opposite from what you would think, because usually a child is born by the seed of man in the womb of a woman. However, look at verse number 20 of Matthew chapter 1. Um, it says this, Now, God is speaking at this point through the angel to Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. He has taken Mary to wife, but he's not yet married her. It's a espousal period, kind of like an engagement with quite a bit of differences. But this is what it says. But while, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Born without the seed of a man. Born as the seed of a woman. He passed all the tests. So, I wanted to bring all of that up to show you that Jesus Christ passes all the tests. Uh, he, he is, a, again, I'm, I know I'm reiterating, he is a, of the seed of the woman. He is a child of Abraham. He's a child of Judah. He's a child of David. So he passed all of the tests. But, John the Baptist prophesying says... Uh, when, when Mark talked about him, he said, He fulfilled the prophecy, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And in the Old Testament, it's all in caps. This is more than just a man. This isn't just another man. It's not just another king. He is God in the flesh. Let's read Matthew chapter 1. And let's read, uh, let's see, verse number uh, 21. So we're going back to what we read here before. And still talking to Joseph. And she shall bring forth the son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He shall save his people from their sins. Watch this, verse 22. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. This is Isaiah seven fourteen, by the way. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is, watch this, God with us. God with us. Jesus was not just another man. 
He was God. He was fully man, but he was fully God. Remember, he was born by the seed of the Holy Ghost, child of God. He is God in the flesh. But then, uh, so he's a son of God according to the seed of the Spirit. But then, also he was a son of Mary according to the womb. Born in the womb of a woman. Fully God and fully man. Okay, so I'm going to try to wrap this lesson up. Uh, but I at least want to give you kind of an overview of the early ministry of Jesus. So we read about the baptism of Jesus. Now remember, John's been preaching. He said, you better repent. He said, the time of judgment, of, of God's judgment is at hand. You better repent. You better make your life right. He rebukes the Pharisees and the scribes and Sadducees. He said, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He said, you need to bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. It's, don't think just because you're a child of Abraham that, that you're saved. Because God can raise up children from Abraham from these stones. He said, now the axe is laid into the root of the tree. Every tree that doesn't bring forth good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And he said, I baptize you with water, but one's coming after me that's mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. He said, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And with fire. Then verse 13 says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. You know what? Outside of a little reference where we read about Jesus at 12 years of age, there's absolutely nothing written about uh, the young life of Jesus until he's about 30 years of age, and he comes and we read about him being baptized by John. He lived a normal life for 30 years. He submitted to his parents for 30 years. He submitted to his teachers for 30 years. He walked in our earth. He lived a normal life for 30 years before he even began his ministry. All right? You might say, well... Why, why is that significant to us? Why are you making such a big deal over that? Let's turn over to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 4. Let's go to Hebrews, chapter number 4. And uh, I want to read uh, verse number uh, 15. Hebrews, chapter 4, verse number 15. Speaking of Jesus, this is what it says. Now, the book of Hebrews uh, comes right before the book of James, comes right after uh, the, uh, the book of Philemon. So look in your table of contents if you need to pause the recording. Please do that at this time. We're almost done with this lesson. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15. For we have not an high preacher which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So he had to be tempted. He had to live a normal life. He had to suffer everything me and you suffer. He knew what it was like. Joseph, his earthly fathers, believed that he died uh, somewhere in this period before Jesus' baptism. So, obviously, he knew what it was like to, to grieve. He knew what it was like to feel pain, to be pricked with a thorn and, and to feel pain or, or to step on something and feel pain. He, he went through normal life. He knew what it was like to submit to his parents. He knew what it was like uh, to, to maybe even to be bullied. We don't know. The Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. He suffered during that adolescence, that period of adolescence. He, he knew what it was like to feel temptation, every type of temptation. The Bible says he, he was tempted in all points, yet he never committed sin. Okay, so on this day, he comes and finally, the time has come. He's lived 30 years of normal life, and now he's baptized by John. Watch this, verse 14. 
of Matthew chapter 3. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee. And comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were open unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. All right, you might say, well, well, why did this happen? You can read in John that it actually happened for John's benefit. John said uh, that the Lord spoke to him and said, the one you see the Spirit ascending and descending uh, and remaining on him, excuse me, uh, uh, descending and remaining on him, said this is the same one uh, that is the Christ, the Son of God. And so uh, this was for John's benefit. And then the voice, I believe, is for the benefit of the crowd. says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Okay, to make a long story short, uh, Matthew chapter 4, and you can also read about this in Luke chapter 4 and other places where uh, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by the devil. Three types of temptations that he goes through is, uh, the Bible says he fasted for 40 days, he didn't eat bread, and uh, he's out in the wilderness. The devil comes to him and he said, If you be the Son of God... Now remember, God's already spoken uh, in his baptism and said, Thou art my beloved Son. But uh, here in the wilderness, the devil comes and begins to tempt him and said, If you really are the Son of God... Because you know the devil had to hear that too. If you really are the Son of God, make these stones bread. Now, what would be wrong with making the stones bread? It would be an abuse of power. God did not obviously... Uh, give him the power to, to perform miracles just for self-gratification. It was to help others. It was to save others. It was to reach others. And so Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And then uh, the Bible says that uh, after this, the devil uh, took him to the holy city. You can read this Matthew 4, verse number 5. He set him on a pinnacle of the temple. He said, If you're really the Son of God, just throw yourself down. For it's written, so this time he uses scripture, he said, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Jesus said unto him, verse 7 of Matthew chapter 4, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He gave us an example. The way he responded to the devils, not to try to argue and reason with them, but it's to use scripture. And then it says again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and said unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Really, if you study out what's happening here is the devil's offering him a shortcut. Because Jesus, if you read in Matthew chapter number 28, after Jesus died, was buried and rose again, he said, all power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. The devil's saying, hey, look, I'll give you a shortcut. Uh, if, if you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world now. Forget all that stuff about dying. Forget all that stuff because, uh, you know, you know that the devil uh, is, is a master tempter. He knows how to tempt. And so he's offering him a shortcut. But this is what Jesus said. Then saith Jesus unto him, verse 10 of Matthew 4, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. And from this point forward, verse number 12, the ministry of Jesus begins. And you can read different stories in Matthew chapter, uh, from Matthew all the way from Matthew chapter number 4 all the way through the end of the book. Uh, obviously in the book of Mark, in the book of Luke, in the book of John. All four of these are uh, gospels. They record the life. They record the death. They record the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They record his life on earth, his miracles, his teachings, uh, his signs and wonders. 
they record even in some cases his prayers. And so uh, Jesus taught the people by parables. He would many times use illustrations of parables. Some people mistakenly believe that uh, Jesus did this uh, so that the people could understand. But actually the opposite is true. He did it so the hungry would seek out the meaning of the parable, but the ones that were not hungry would be confused. And, uh, and, and if you look at how he taught, he taught many, many beautiful parables. And I'm not going to take time to get into that. But he performed great miracles. He raised the dead. He opened the blinded eyes. He caused the lame to walk, the dumb to speak, the deaf to hear. But in the middle of all of this, the Bible says in certain times that he wept. The Bible says in certain times he fasted, he was hungry. The Bible says in certain times he felt weak. In one place it says that he thirsted. Jesus performed great miracles. Jesus was God in flesh, but he was also fully man. He suffered. Uh, he knew what it was like to go through temptations. He knew what it was like to uh, to feel hungry. He knew what it was like to uh, to feel grief. Bible says after he heard of the death of John the Baptist, because John the Baptist was killed by Herod, uh, when he heard about it, the Bible says Jesus sought to take his disciples alone by themselves. Probably he was feeling some sorrow. When he heard of the death of his friend Lazarus, the Bible says Jesus wept. Uh, Jesus was heavy in his spirit. So he knew what it was like. So even though we see that he performed many, many miracles, he knew what it was like to suffer. He knew what it was like to feel sadness. The Bible says tempted in all points, yet without sin. And that's where we're going to stop in this lesson. And in the next lesson, we're actually going to talk about uh, the latter portion of Jesus' ministry. And we're going to talk about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this opportunity we've had to study the Word of God. We ask you, Lord, to continue to speak to us in this series, God. I'm asking if anybody's out there today that does not know you in the power of the Holy Ghost, uh, Lord, that they would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, that they would be baptized in Jesus' name, have your way in their life, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. God bless.